Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by the news of you. For I have no one like him, who will be generally concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth. How as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I, will my, I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because, what, because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Amen. Please be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bow yet again before you. We thank you so much for the great privilege to, uh, to come into uh, your presence and asking for, for your, um, your power during this hour. Uh, dear God, we, we pray um, for those in our nation this morning. God, we, we wanted to specifically lift up um, those who are leading local city councils, God. We pray that you and your kindness would just watch over them as they lead and govern the small towns and, and cities across America. God, that they would uh, be beacons of light, Lord. Uh, be, be those who, who bend to your wisdom by your word. Father, we thank you that you are a God that, that works in and through prayer. So, God, we pray now for the country of Russia. We pray, God, that you would allow uh, the missionaries there uh, in that land to continue to be fruitful and, and faithful. We, we, we pray for the church, God, there in Russia to rise up, Lord, uh, to be strong. Father, we pray for Russia's leaders. We pray that you would humble them, God, by your mighty hand. Father, we pray that you would make that a nation of peace, uh, one that does not crave war. Uh, dear God, we also just bow before you now, lifting up the needs of our own congregation. Father, we, we pray specifically this morning for Ellen, um, Joe, and, and Tim Green. We pray, God, that you would just watch over them. Uh, Father, all of us have a heavy heart thinking about the passing of Jerry, our dear friend and brother. We pray, God, that you would just um, use his example, Lord. Use his life as a, as a picture of your uh, kindness to us, that his life would lead us to be more faithful to this local body and to our families. Father, we pray for all the others in our congregation who are hurting, those who are, have, have made their hurting known, God, and those who have, have, have held those sins, those that pain in secretly. God, we pray for um, Barbara McGirt, Ken Tedder, uh, for Fred Justice. We pray that you would watch over them, God. We pray for all those who are, who are battling uh, anxiety this morning. God, we pray that your comfort would, would fall upon them. Lord God, we also just pray for the gospel in our own community. We pray for um, Calvary Baptist Church this morning and Reggie Hopkins. We pray, God, as he preaches the word of God, that you'd make him faithful to your word. As he proclaims your truth, that you would call men and women unto repentance. That they may believe in the full gospel of Christ. 
And God, now we come at this hour to, to ask you for, for your presence as the preaching of the word goes forth. God, I pray that I may decrease and that you may increase. And as I preach the word of God, Lord, I pray that you would encourage and lift up your people. God, what a great privilege it is to bow before uh, you to, to, together as a church body. We pray that you would take this passage, Father, uh, one we've heard before and yet may be new to us. We pray, God, that you would use it to edify and strengthen us. We pray, Lord God, that you would make us humble servants, God, uh, who care not only for our own interests, but we care for the interests of others. And more specifically, we would care for the interests of Jesus Christ. Father, we pray that we would have a longing to, to gather together week in and week out with your people, and that our hearts would be uh, molded together, that we would really be as one man standing for one faith, um, striving side by side for the gospel. So, God, I pray that you would take honor this morning, that, that this hour would be a time where Jesus Christ would be exalted, that your name would be heralded. God, we pray that you would encourage that those who are here today. Father, we pray that your word would be powerful um, to build up your people. We ask this all through Christ our Lord. Amen. Uh, in October 1792, uh, the Baptist Missionary Society was founded in the home of Andrew Fuller. Uh, William Carey was the, the, the voice of the movement, uh, just preached a powerful sermon uh, of using our means to reach the heathen in other nations. Uh, he had that most quotable line, that we need to attempt great things for God and expect great things from God. William Carey, Andrew Fuller were gathered around a small group of men and Andrew Fuller recounts William Carey's words. Fuller writes, Our undertaking to India really appeared to me on its commencement to be somewhat like a few men who were deliberately deliberating about the importance of penetrating into a deep mind which had never been explored. And we had no one to guide us while we were thus deliberating. Carey, as it were, said, Well, I will go down if you will hold the rope. But before he went down, he, as it seemed to me, took an oath from each of us at the mouth of the pit to this effect, that while we lived, we should never let go of the rope. William Carey would spend his whole life in India translating the, the, the gospel uh, into the native languages, uh, founding numerous churches. And Andrew Fuller and his, his friends were back in England holding the rope. Uh, by God's grace, Andrew Fuller never let go of that rope. Uh, even through extreme trial, he pastored his entire life. He lost a wife and eight of his 11 children. He wrote volumes of good, sound theology, and he worked up to 12 hours a day at his desk, even until a week before his death. He partnered in the gospel with those who were on the front lines, laboring at home, holding out the rope so others could share the love of Jesus. Beloved, there will always be need for partners in the gospel. One of my favorite things at the end of Paul's letters is when Paul just lists out all the people's names uh, that we tend to forget. Aristarchus, Epaphroditus, Tychicus. Uh, these names that we would probably never name our children, right? Uh, but these are the, the ones that, that were intimately involved in Paul's ministry. 
When I memorized Philippians in college, uh, you know, you want to memorize the entire book. You get to a passage like this, uh, Philippians 2, 19 through 30, and you're like, really? Do I really have to memorize this section? It doesn't really seem to be that impactful, like Romans 8, and have all this nuance. But I promise you, this part of Scripture has spoken to my heart more often in the last five years than I think many others in the book of Philippians. So I pray that you'd be encouraged this morning as we are challenged to continue to partner for the sake of the gospel. Uh, The first uh, point is we want to be a faithful partner or faithful servant in the gospel. Really just looking at two men this morning, looking at the the, the example that Timothy set out before us and the example of uh, Epaphroditus. We're going to kind of do this looking at uh, several sub-points of the the main point. Uh, The the first sub-point of that Uh, overall one, is the sending servant. Look, the sending servant. Look at verse 19 again. Paul's writing, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. Now remember, Paul is in prison, and Paul has already kind of given his account that whatever happens to me, I know it's going to turn out for my deliverance. I am confident that Jesus Christ will get me through this, in this life and in the next. I hope to come to you soon for the joy and progress of your faith in the gospel. I'm convinced of this. So, so Paul sent Timothy, uh, or Paul sent uh, Epaphroditus probably back with this letter, and he says, I hope to send Timothy back to you soon so that I can hear what's happening in your church. So that I can hear what what God is doing in your midst, as I have just shared what God is doing in in mine. Now remember, they would have an intimate relationship with Timothy. Uh, In Acts chapter 16, when when Paul first arrived uh, in Macedonia, he came there with Timothy. This is the beginning of of Timothy and Paul's ministry uh, together. So Timothy was there when he saw Lydia accept Christ and be baptized. He was there when he saw the Philippian jailer give his life to the Lord. He was there when the, the, the slave girl was demon was cast out in her midst. He was there encouraging the church. So they the church at Philippi was ready for Timothy to come back. Timothy's often the one that's kind of sent back to kind of fix those churches. Uh, we see this in, in Thessalonica in a First Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul was wondering what's going on with the Thessalonians, so he sent Timothy back to, to get a report. Uh, we, we see that Timothy often gets these difficult assignments. Uh, so we see here that one day soon, Timothy's going to Philippi, and he's going to have to deal with these issues that are happening in the church. This dissension that is kind of brewing in, in the ministry between two prominent women in the church. Uh, and, and, and Syntec, Udia and Syntec. He, he does the same thing as has been going over on Wednesday night in First uh, in Timothy. He had to go back to Ephesus and, and correct some of the, the wrongs that were happening in that church, leaders who were, who were leading his people astray. But before we even get there, what I want you to see is I don't want you to miss the importance, as I said before, of the importance of the partners in ministry. There are so many needs in the life of a people, it is essential, it is essential that we have partners, that we labor with people. I think that we are trained by our culture in a very subtle way, and sometimes not so subtly, that we can handle all our issues on our own, that we can take care of it 
ourselves. That we don't want to reach out to tell someone our need because we want to handle it ourselves. And if we can't handle it ourselves, then we are somehow deficient. We are somehow less than. That is a lie, beloved. We cannot live this life outside of community. We have to invite people into our life. We have to ask our brothers and sisters for help. Because if you can do things on your own, it is not that you have really arrived, but you have really been self-deceived. The second thing I want you to see about Timothy's life is that he was a seeking servant. This is one of the things I love about Timothy. Verse 20. It says, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. So Paul was in ministry, and Paul had a lot of people coming around helping him. He even kind of maybe thinks back to the beginning of Philippians chapter 1 of those people who were, who were preaching the gospel, but they were doing it for their own motives. They were doing it so that people would see them and not for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. They were preaching a right gospel for the wrong, with the wrong motives. But, but Peter... Or, or um, Timothy had a heart that was genuine. He genuinely loved the people of Philippi. So Paul's, I have no one else like him who genuinely, intimately cares for your needs. As I said before, Philippi was a great church, wonderful giving church. Uh, even the reason why um, Epaphroditus, as we'll look at here in a second, was, was, it, was visiting Paul was to give Paul money. Give him resources to be able to sustain his stay while he was in, in prison. Uh, but there's this division that's starting to rise up in the church that, that Timothy had to address. And Paul was commending Timothy to the church saying he can help solve these issues if you would listen to him. Because he's not one who's just coming to, to fix a problem. He's coming with a, a shepherd's heart. Oh, the great picture of Jesus as the good shepherd. Jesus says, I'm not a hired hand, right? A hired hand, when the wolves come, do what? They bolt, they run. But the good shepherd does what? They lay down their life for the sheep. Timothy will lay down his life for you, for your well-being. Paul could trust Timothy because he was a dear friend. It's important that we have friends in the gospel, that we have true friends. Who are your true friends in the gospel? Tim Keller gives two important traits of friendship, candor and closeness. Uh, the idea of closeness is that a true friend knows your emotional need. He knows what to say, how to say it, and when to say it. Someone has to, to spend time with you to really know your, your needs. Listen to the Proverbs of how those who, who don't uh, handle your emotional needs well. Proverbs 27.14 says, Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. Proverbs 25.17 Let your foot be seldom in your neighbor's house, lest he have his fill of you and hate you. Having the right balance of presence and absence. Proverbs 25.20, whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. To have a really close friend, they have to know how to reach you. And we need different things at different times, don't we? There's times when we have heavy hearts and we're not looking for the pep talk. 
We're looking for someone just to be there with us. And there's times when we're sad and we need a pep talk, right? As someone who really, really knows you, knows how to reach you. A true friend knows how to meet your emotional needs. I mean, do you have friends that know you that well? And do you try to be that kind of friend? It takes time as well as thoughtfulness. And we, we, we need more Timothys in our world. For the Apostle Paul says, I have no one else like him. Paul and Timothy were that close. Timothy knew Paul's needs. And yet friendship is not only about being close with someone. It's also about candor. A friend is honest with you. Listen to the honest and candor encouraged in the Proverbs. Again, Proverbs 27, 5 and 6. Better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Proverbs 18.24, a man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I think in our day, we want to be the man with many companions. We want to be the one who looks, has, has all these people surrounded, surrounding them. But the one who is surrounded by people telling them what they want to hear are not true friends. You need to have friends close enough to let you know when you're facing ruin. A true, friend, a true friend will risk losing your friendship. Hear me. A true friend will risk losing a friendship if it means saving a friend from disaster. I've met many people who have let arrogance and pride lead down their downfall. And I think simply because they didn't have close friends. It is never a good thing to have friends that will always agree with you. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. If you cannot trust a loving rebuke from a friend who loves you, who can you trust? I think this is the picture of those of you who are aspiring to leadership in the church, deacons and elders. When you're ministering to the people of God, there are times when we are called to give a rebuke to those under our charge. If they do not know that you love them and care for them, we must be careful with our words. The reason why we love, the reason why we lay our lives down and serve our people so that when that time comes, they know it's come in love. And if you don't have the courage... To tell a friend who, who, something that they need to hear, you may not be the kind of friend you need to be. Silence can lead to disaster. A biblical friend speaks the truth in love to his friends because they care more about their souls than their happiness. Or they care about their true happiness in Christ. I think we use the word friend very casually in our culture. Uh, friends at work, friends at the gym, friends on, online, friends in the neighborhood. Could it be maybe the casual use of our idea of friendship, be destroying our understanding of biblical friendship? I would say it is better to have two or three good friends than hundreds of companions. Can we resolve maybe as a congregation that we would become good friends with somebody in our midst, somebody in our congregation, that we would give someone our time, our, our attention, our honesty, our vulnerability to cultivate true friendship 
because it cannot be built without it. The next thing I want you to see about Timothy, not only he's a true friend, one who cares for others, but he's also a serving son. This is the picture I think Paul primarily speaks of Timothy. Look at verse 22. Speaking to the church, he says, but you know Timothy's proven worth. So the church there has seen Timothy in action. They've seen him serving each other. You know his proven worth. How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. It's interesting when I was looking at this um, and preparing this message, this idea of a son with his father is assumed in the text. It's assumed that that's that's the normative response or the normative picture of that culture, that a son labors with his father. Now, they often, the son would, would learn how to have a trade by following their father along. Well, ever since the Industrial Revolution, the, 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 the children were separated from their parents, right? The, 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 our, our primary work now is outside the home, and we don't bring our kids up along with us. It's harder to do. And I think what, it, what has happened over time is that the picture in our culture, anyway, to have a father with a son is no longer normative. Now, it's probably normative more in the church, praise God. But I think in our society in general, fathers to be with their sons is not as, as normal. But that's a powerful picture. Fathers, we need to be with our, 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 our sons and our daughters, raising them, giving them a godly example for them to follow. But here, it's not only a biological, I think, emphasis that we can, we can pull out of the text, but Paul is a spiritual father to a spiritual son in Timothy. This is directly a discipleship relationship, one who has given his, his life. Who are you mentoring and discipling in the faith? Now, the reason why we even want to do a book study about how can we help others follow Jesus, because that's what Jesus does. Right? That's what a disciple of Jesus does. We help others follow Jesus. Now, that is our own children primarily. That is primarily those who have children in the home, our own children and our spouses. But who else in this church that we could pour our lives into? I'm not saying you have to help everybody. That would, that would cripple us. But you can help some. You can mentor and give your life to some. There's two keys, I think, in mentoring. You have to have willing mentors, willing disciplers, and you have to have willing mentees or willing uh, disciplees. So I think that if we're going to grow as a church, we want to continue to have this opportunity where, where the older, wiser, more spiritually mature are continuing to give themselves for the younger. Time and time again. That's the picture we see here, that Timothy was a proven son because he served with Paul for the sake of the gospel. Is there something that you're doing right now that you could bring someone who's younger along with you, that you could do ministry together? Yesterday, um, I had the great privilege uh, in the morning to bring my son here to the church, right? Um, something very as, as simple as we just want to make sure the sanctuary looks good for a funeral. So John David came with me, and I said, Johnny, can you walk up and down the pews and, and grab all, the, all the, the dirty paper and throw it in the trash while I vacuum the front? And we did that. It took us 30 minutes. But, man, it was such a great privilege to be able to serve alongside my son. And my, I told my son at, when we were leaving, I said, Johnny, thank you so much for serving. He goes, Daddy, I love to serve my church. 
Well, that's a great privilege that I have to do with my son, but there's so many others here who want to serve their church, but they don't know how. Well, those of us who are servants, bring them alongside. Say, hey, listen, let's do this together for the sake of the gospel. One thing I want you to see here in this, this brief little thing, how often Paul mentions Jesus. I mean, Jesus really is the, the founder and the perfecter of our faith. In verse 19, it says, I hope in the Lord Jesus. Speaking of Timothy in 21, for those, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. And again in verse 24, I trust in the Lord. Shortly I myself will come to you soon. What you see in Paul's life, what you see in the, in the lives of the disciples of the early church is that Jesus is everywhere. Are our lives so entrenched with Jesus? Is Jesus part of the natural affairs of our daily life? Or do days go by, hours go by, when we're not thinking or, or, or talking about Jesus Christ? We're not thinking about how we labor, how we focus at work, because we are primarily not serving men, but serving Jesus Christ as our King. Our life should be fully wrapped up in, in Jesus. Is your life wrapped up in the gospel of Christ? Do you realize that you deserve death and damnation? But now we sing like we just did. Now, no condemnation I dread. Because Christ Jesus died for me and rose for my hope, for my justification. The gospel changes everything. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, when we repent of our sins, repent from our wrongdoing, our rebellious ways, and live for Jesus, it will change everything. It changed everything about Timothy. So his life was no longer about himself, no longer about his own comfort, but about serving others. And I think this is the, the plague. This is the plague that is ruining the American church, is the idol of self. We care too much about ourselves. And not much about the interests of Jesus Christ. The reason why people can't lay down their preferences is because they care too much about themselves and not about the interests of Jesus Christ. If you truly know Jesus, you will want to serve others. So if you don't have the desire in your heart to give your life to others, I just pray that you would get to know Jesus. Look at his life. Look, we talked about last week, behold, behold what Jesus Christ did, who being in the very nature of God did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, becoming the very nature of a servant, being formed in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and came obedience to death, even death on a cross. That's our God. Our God humbles himself. I pray not only that we'll be like Timothy, but that we'd be like Epaphroditus. Second point, the fellow soldier of the gospel. We want to be a fellow soldier of the gospel. Um, the first sub-point is the partnering servant, the partnering servant. Look at verse 25. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus. Look at the way Paul describes Epaphroditus. My brother and fellow worker. And fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all, and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, 
And not only on him, but also on, on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. As I said before, Epaphroditus came to Paul to fulfill the need of the, the Philippian church. And we, we, we read in chapter 4 of Philippians, verse 18, it says, I receive, Paul speaking, I receive full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And well, while Epaphroditus was going on the journey, he got sick. He, he got some kind of illness. We don't exactly know what, but he got sick on, on the way. Three separate times, Paul references this, this illness that he was near death, almost died for the gospel. To show you the seriousness of Epaphroditus' faith to deliver this message. He was a fellow worker, a fellow soldier, a brother. That's the picture of, of ministry. There is no super minister, super Christian over here and everybody else down here. We're all brothers and sisters laboring for the gospel. We are fellow soldiers. So this, this morning we are being built up, we are being strengthened, we are being edified. We are putting on the full armor of Christ so that you can go out there to war. So you can go out there in your jobs and your homes to bring in the gospel of Christ against the, the schemes of the evil one in this dark world. So when you go to your, your classroom on Monday morning, you're bringing the gospel. When you're going to your office on, on Tuesday afternoon, you're bringing the gospel. When you're ministering to your kids on, on Thursday night, you're bringing the gospel. You're, you're, you're warring against the things of this world to exalt Jesus Christ. It's exactly what Epaphroditus was doing. And physically doing that almost lost his life. The second thing about Epaphroditus that I love is that he's a prayerful servant. A prayerful servant. We don't often see that here. In verse 26 it says, He's been longing for you all. Uh, now that longing could mean several things. Uh, it could mean, I want to go home. I don't know about you, but when you're not feeling well, and you're not at home, you just want to get there. If you're in the hospital bed, you just want to get home. Right? If you're staying at your, at your uh, friend's house, man, you just want to get to your own bed. Right? That's, that's really a, a reality. It could be that he was just homesick. It could be that he was so wrapped up with the distresses of the divisions back in, in the church. He loved that church. He cared deeply for that church. And there's divisions and there's strife rising up. I gotta get there. I gotta get back there so I can, I can fix some of this. Primarily probably because he was a leader in the church. It could be because he was longing for them in prayer. In Colossians. The only other time we see Epaphroditus' name mentioned in the scriptures, it says this. It says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. So Epaphras was known, Epaphroditus is short for um, Epaphras is a short for Epaphroditus. He was known for being a person of prayer, longing for people in prayer. They may stand mature and firm in, in Christ. 
I think it's probably a mixture of all these things. We can't really break up our life and compartmentalize our lives as much as we want. You know, we make decisions in ways and for reasons that sometimes are, are outside of our even knowledge. Because our families, our upbringings, our stresses all work in simultaneously to lead us to certain decisions. But either way, Paul said it was, it, was, it was best for the church, for the joy of the church, to send Epaphroditus back. I mean, think about how much joy you would have, right, if one of our leaders, if Robert Baker, where's Robert? He's up there. You can't see him. Okay, let's, let's say we sent Robert Baker uh, with a, a, all of our resources, a good chunk of our resources, to go in, and encourage uh, a church in York. Now, back when there's no cars, okay, let's say Robert has to walk. Right, and those short strides, right, are going to take him a while to get there, right? So he, so he, he gets there, right, and we find out through the grapevine that he's sick, that he's sick, and that he's almost dead, and we're just waiting for him to come back. And you can imagine if, I'm, if a sermon is being preached and, and Robert Baker walks in the back and walks up front, what's going to happen to the church? If they're going to celebrate. You're going to have this joy. And that's what Paul is doing here. He's saying, listen, we want to send you back. I know that he's sick and you care for him. He wants to be with you. It's best to send you back. And honestly, Paul's like, it's best for me because I don't want him to die when he's with me. Right? He's worrying me. He's giving me anxious because he may die, and it's better to have him die with you than, than die with me. I think that's partly what he's, what he's thinking. Um, but notice what he says when he gets back. Last point, this, this idea of this perilous servant, how we should be received. Verse 29. So it says, so receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. He nearly died for the work of Christ. If anyone is willing to die for the work of Christ, honor such men. My wife and I started rereading the Chronicles of Narnia to our kids. Uh, so we're going through the, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe um, this past weekend. And I love the, the scene when Lucy uh, first finds out that Aslan is a lion. And she just she gets all nervous, like, is, is he safe? And the, Mr. Beaver, incredulous and shocking, goes, safe? He's not safe. He's, the, he's a lion, <laughs> but he's good, but he's good. The life of faith is risky. It's going to cost us something. Is your Jesus, the one that called you to himself, safe? Is your life safe? Or are you willing to risk everything for the sake of the gospel? On April 20th, 1998, uh, 16-year-old, uh, Rachel Scott, wrote this in her diary. I lost all my friends at school. Not that I have begun to walk my talk. Now that I've begun to walk my talk, they make fun of me. I don't even know what I have done. I really don't even say anything, and they turn from me. I have no more personal friends at school. But you know what? I'm not going to apologize for speaking the name of Jesus. I'm not going to justify my faith to them. I'm not going to hide the light that God has put into me. If I have to sacrifice everything, I will. I will take it. 
If my friends have to become my enemies for me to be with my best friend, Jesus, then that's fine with me. I always knew being a Christian is having enemies, but I never thought my friends were going to be those enemies. If I have to give up everything, I will. Rachel Scott had a passion for the Lord Jesus Christ uh, at the age of 13 and, and on. Uh, several other entries in her diary read this way. She says, I quote, I want you, Lord, to use me to reach the unreached. God is going to use me to reach the young people. I don't know how and I don't know when. She says, I have this theory that if one person can go out of their way to show compassion, then it will start a chain reaction of the same. People will never know how far a little kindness can go. An amazing young woman. On April 20th, a year later, 1999, 17-year-old Rachel Scott was having lunch outside of the school when Eric Harris and Dylan Kleibold entered Columbine's high school campus and shot Rachel twice in the leg and once in the back. They left her bleeding, only to have Eric come back moments later, lifting her head, grabbing her hair, and asking her, Do you still believe in God? He asked, Do you still believe in God? Because three weeks earlier, Rachel went to Eric and Dylan, those who were outcasts, and tried to convince them to leave their hate, to leave their hate and turn to Jesus, who died for them. Do you still believe in God? In your God? Rachel unwaveringly, without flinching, said, you know I do. Eric coldly said, then go be with him, and shot her at point-blank range, killing her instantly. Rachel was not a foreign missionary, but she was a risky follower of Jesus. She was willing to be shunned by her friends so that people could hear the gospel of Christ. Rachel risked her life for Jesus every single day. She would never have the opportunity to go to the, to the nations as a missionary. But hear me, her story has gone there without her. Because of her faithfulness to Christ, millions, and I do mean millions, have heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. And what Rachel was doing was merely following her Savior. Rachel's last picture was, was drawn two hours before the shooting started. It was the picture of two eyes with 13 teardrops falling from those eyes. Thirteen people died that day. Those 13 tears were falling out of plant, growing out of, the, out of the words of Jesus in John 15, 13. Greater love has no man than this, that a man would lay down his life for his friends. Beloved, Jesus Christ has laid down his life for us. He died our death. He paid for our sins. Jesus demonstrated the dangerous life by choosing to die so others may live. He laid down his life for his friends. Jesus died and was raised. And Jesus chose us, appointed us, so that we could bear fruit and love one another like Timothy like Epaphroditus, and like Rachel Scott. Are you willing to lay down your life so others will know God? 
I pray you will follow the example of Jesus Christ and the thousands of other saints have chosen to take the risky life of living for the Savior, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would allow us to live for the welfare of others. We do pray, God, that you would allow us to surrender all, to surrender all our fears, all our worries, all our anxieties, all our comforts, all our pleasures, to put them under your control. We pray, God, that we would not um, be boastful and prideful in the lives you've given us, but, God, that we would desire to live our lives for the joy of others. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.